This is Quarantine Conversations. Brought to you by the Pacific Museum of Earth and our host... Hello, I'm Daniel Gowerbach. Is Daniel. In this podcast, we aim to show what it's like to be an Earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Today on the podcast, we're talking to... Katrin Steinthorsdottir. Welcome, Katrin. Now, in this podcast, we aim to show uh, people at various stages in their careers. So would you consider yourself to be a student, a teacher, a researcher, uh, a hobbyist? I'm a master's student, um, but I'm also researching. Excellent. Um, Now, you're researching metamorphic petrology. Uh, What is that? Um, How to put this simply, it's looking at rocks that have changed in some way. And this is usually done with increased temperature and pressure. So the minerals uh, change to different types of minerals. And this can be from tectonic emplacement or with increasing temperature because of magmatic uh, intrusions or other reasons. I always like to, um, or I explain to myself, uh, metamorphosism as like baking rocks. Mm. Uh, Like you can either bake them not long enough or you can bake them at the right amount of time or you can leave them in the oven um, way too long and then you get something really different. Uh, Is that accurate or am I out to lunch? (laughs) I I like it. (laughs) Sounds good. Good. I just want to make sure I'm accurate. Uh, Now, you were almost born into being a geologist. Your last name is uh, Steintors Dottir. Could you tell me what that means in Icelandic? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So my last name is actually compiled of two different things. So Steinthor and Dóttir. Um, so that means I'm the daughter of Steinthor, which is my dad's first name. And Steinthor means uh, it's compiled of stone and Thor. And uh, Thor, as you may know, is the Nordic gods, the lightning gods uh, that has been in Hollywood a lot recently. And his stone is actually his hammer, so which has another name of Mjölnir. So... I am the daughter of the stone of Thor. Excellent. That's really amazing. Are you the only uh, geologist in your family? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if you're the only one, how do you get into this field? Um, I think being raised up in Iceland has something to do with it. Um, we have a lot of volcanoes and glaciers, so there's uh, a lot of natural wonders going on right in the backyard. Uh, I've always been really interested in rocks since I was three years old. I've been collecting everything I see. Uh, My mom would always laugh at me because she would just keep finding them in the washing machine. (laughs) Even if I thought I had finished emptying the pockets, there were always some extra pockets with stones in them. And then uh, because I was in high school in Iceland, they actually teach a lot of geology um, and many courses and I could take uh, both mandatory and optional extra courses in geology and I realized I really liked it like it it um, was one of the subjects that you actually had to understand the concepts and the processes rather than just remembering the facts or calculating all day long so great and did you have a favorite type of rock growing up 
Yeah, there was. <laughs> so, uh, as Iceland is a volcanic island, uh, most of it is made out of basalt, which is this um, black rock. And uh, I used to love this really smooth, like black pebbles, like you can see on, for example, the black sand beaches. Mm. So they're really nice, and I would always uh, pick them up. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds gorgeous, a black sand beach. Um... Yeah, I wouldn't mind going there right now. <laughs> uh, now, what, what are you actually researching right now? Mm, so uh, as part of my master's work, I am looking at, very uh, simply put, I'm looking at the, which rocks uh, can we store CO2, anthropogenic CO2 in. So to understand that, um, I'm looking at one place in central British Columbia, mm -hmm. uh, north of Prince George, where there are ultramafic rocks that originally formed um, under the ocean floor in the upper mantle. And they got tectonically and placed into ancient North America. And I'm looking at that process. So how they altered or got metamorphosed uh, with increasing temperature and pressure. And as the fluids were circulating and changing them and as an effect of that there were minerals that formed uh, one that is called brucite that we look to be able to um, store co2 in and the other one is called avaruite which is actually a nickel ore mineral um, that can be mined that is very important now for example for electric car batteries okay now, when you say that these rocks were under the ocean at one point, but they're now in BC, uh, how long ago would that be, roughly? So they formed originally around 280 million years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Quite far. Right. And brucite, what, what is that? So it's a magnesium-rich mineral. Mm -hmm. um, not very commonly found but that's part of what i'm doing is trying to pinpoint where we can find it and in which abundances and yeah it forms in these types of rocks called serpentinites and they the mineral is really what makes me excited about all of this because it has incredible capacity and potential to um, bond with co2 and form carbonate rich minerals that are stable over um, maybe thousands, millions of years. Oh, interesting. That's really, really interesting. <laughs> so you're um, using geology to help reverse climate change. Yeah, or hopefully. <laughs> well, that, that would be uh, worthy of Thor's hammer, I'd, I'd say. <laughs> uh, now, have you made any discoveries that you'd like to share? I don't know if I've done it yet but I'm working on trying to do that uh, as I'm still just a student but where I'm trying to pinpoint uh, where these minerals form and um, yeah it seems to be happening that it's working out but not finished yet. <laughs> now as I understand it uh, brucite isn't that easy to, to find, right? You only find like little slivers of it in other rocks. Is that correct? Yep, or we found at least up to 13% of it in a rock. Okay. So it can be uh, 
quite significant part of a rock, but commonly maybe just a few percentages. Um, yeah, it is mostly found in serpentinites that originally came from a rock that were olivine rich. Mm. So then we go back to this idea where the rocks were formed originally under the ocean floor. Um, and these olivine rich rocks form uh, in the upper mantle. Okay. When they get serpentinized in the correct way, we form brucite. It must be absolutely beautiful. Um, olivine and serpentine um, are both beautiful minerals. Um, yeah, I, I can only imagine the specimens you work on. <laughs> it's been fun. Uh, now you mentioned that you don't like sitting in front of a computer screen. Um, you must enjoy the field work then. <laughs> uh, do you get onto the field often? I went last summer for this work, um, but I have, yeah, I used to work um, in more in volcanology uh, things. And then we would, for example, I was in Mexico uh, for five months uh, working on volcano research there. Then we were in the fields at least once a week. Uh, now I'm hopefully going again soon this autumn. So maybe roughly once a year plus sometimes more. It's really fun. And how long are you out in the field for? Uh, varies a lot. Last year we did three weeks. Um, so not too much, but yeah, the combination is good. Now, um, one thing I keep hearing from our, our scientists is that uh, the craziest things happen out in the field. Um, do you have any crazy field stories you'd like to share? Um, the maybe not crazy, but uh, the funny one that I can think of is when I, I moved to Switzerland uh, as part of an exchange for one year doing geology uh, during my undergrad work. And uh, before that time, I'd only really done geology work in Iceland. And as you may know, uh, Iceland is not, um, not great with the weather. It's usually pretty stormy and windy and cold. So when we go to the field there, you, you dress up uh, ready for a storm and whatever. You can also take your sunglasses and shorts, but you always wear a lot of extra things. And I was in Switzerland uh, going on my first field work, and the professors there told me, uh, we're going to the Alps, 3,000 meters above sea level, bring all your gear, it will be freezing cold, uh, you have to be prepared for anything. Even though it's June, you have to be prepared for everything. And I was like, okay. And I took it very literally, of course. So I brought all my gear. Um, you know, wool socks, wool trousers, wool hats and gloves and everything. Um, went up to 3,000 meters and <laughs> it was 26 degrees Celsius and sunshine the whole day. And I didn't even have a cap. I didn't have sunscreen. I didn't have anything. I was not prepared for sun. <laughs> I was prepared for a snowstorm. So I got actually a, um, a heat stroke. And it was pretty bad timing because that evening um, we actually had internet access that evening, even though we we're in the middle of the Alps. But we were so lucky because the European Football Cup was going on right then and Iceland was actually competing oh. uh, against England that we won. It was a really big moment, um, but I could barely even watch the game because I, was <laughs> I had this heat stroke. Oh no, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> it was quite funny. Um, but I've learned, now I always bring shorts and sunscreen. 
uh, something else I've heard from our, our researchers who've um, done work um, abroad and, and in Canada is that the country that you're doing your field research in can be uh, can offer a very different field experience. Uh, have you noticed differences working in Switzerland and Mexico versus BC? Um, yeah, there are definitely big differences. Um, for example, BC is just uh, so big. They're so um, far to go between places. While in Switzerland, there's always um, a town nearby, so you don't have to go too far from civilization. Um, but I guess the biggest one is the animals. Um, for example, we were in Mexico once, and we were so we were monitoring this volcano and we went uh, for many many days and we were camping out we took night shifts uh, to be able to uh, look at the fluxes from the volcano both sulfur and co2 so two hour long night shifts uh, each person <laughs> quite fun and we were um, in a place that we had heard had pumas so we were like sure there'll be maybe pumas here but uh, we were told that we shouldn't worry not close to us they they don't like humans so they'll stay away um but we had been walking around and then uh, and been awake the whole night because we had been taking these night shifts and then the next morning when the daylight came we saw that around 10 meters away from our camping spot uh, there were fresh puma footprints uh, in like in our older footprints so we could wow. see that the puma had just been looking at us in the middle of the night <laughs> You were watching the volcano and the volcano was watching, or the uh, pumas were watching you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds really exciting. It's especially funny because I'm not used to mammals or wild animals at all. So we don't even have mosquitoes back home in Iceland. So it's all very new to me. And, and also being here in Canada and they talk about bears and cougars and yeah, <laughs> it's quite funny. <laughs> Until you meet one. And then it's less funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now your research uh, sounds amazing. Um, you're working on the storage of anthropogenic CO2, right? Yep. Great. Exactly. So, uh, is, yeah. is there a difference between anthropogenic CO2 and natural CO2? Anthropogenic being like human produced? Yeah. So while well, we're trying to store uh, all CO2 uh, because CO2 is bad for the climate but uh, I guess what we're majorly trying to do is store CO2 that has is the, the that is caused from human activity from the burning of fossil fuels and and all that um, and since you mentioned natural CO2 we actually the original idea actually came from nature itself so we're just trying to speed up natural processes that are already happening. So we have these rocks, and this is actually a small part of my research, is that we are already looking at the, we call it the carbonate alteration of ultramafic rocks. So this is already happening. The CO2 then is sourced from uh, volcanic activity or from uh, CO2-rich sediments. And as the CO2-rich fluid is moving through these rocks, uh, it, it or it's... It's already storing the CO2 in ultramafic rocks, and we're just trying to speed up the process to fight climate change. Amazing. So not only did you um, discover that nature was doing this, but then you found a way to um, augment it uh, 
to speed up the process. That's really impressive. Uh, now, we all have parts of our work that we love and parts that we don't love so much. Uh, what's your favorite or your most exciting part of your work? It's really the, the big picture when, um, when I'm working with all my um, colleagues in my lab group um, that realizing that this idea of storing CO2 in ultramafic rocks um, with mine tailings or mine waste will actually probably be happening. And to be part of that team is just really, really exciting and makes me hope for, yeah, compared to that, you know, of course, climate change is usually not a very hopeful topic. Uh, this actually makes me hope that we can do something about it. And um, you're, you're working towards like a carbon neutral mine, right? Yeah. So hopefully this work will make it possible that we will have a carbon neutral or even a carbon negative mine. Oh, wow. Carbon negative mine would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. Uh, do you have any idea how much uh, carbon mines produce? Probably? It's a lot. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> I don't remember any of the numbers, but uh, mining in general is a big percentage of global CO2 emissions. And yeah, we're working with, or my group, we're working with both nickel and diamond mines mm -hmm. um, to, and that already is a big proportion of all CO2. So if we can neutralize those mines, um, then we can keep on going and maybe making them negative or helping with other types of mines. Um, so if you're looking at nickel and diamond mines, are you looking at like Canadian mines? Because I know we yeah. do those things here. Okay, great. I'm also curious, uh, what time frame do you think, um, like do you think we'll see a carbon neutral mine within our lifetime? Yeah. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> We, we only have 10 years. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're working on it. <laughs> um, now, we've, we're talking about the positive things. Uh, there are also some negative things uh, with our field of earth, ocean, and atmospheric sciences. Um, have you ever experienced anything that you felt has caused you to unfairly struggle in this field? Luckily not, uh, directly at least. I have not been impacted in any way. Um, of course, I've noticed that uh, there's an uneven representation representation of uh, genders and people of color in both academia and in um, earth science industry industries. Um, but I think we're going in the right direction, um, even though it's maybe not all good right now. I think people are start talking about it, and uh, when you look at the uh, grad students and undergrad students, um, you can see there's more representation and I, I hope that it will get better. Good. You're, uh, you're quite the ray of hope today. <laughs> uh, fixing climate change, uh, fl fixing uh, gender and racial inequalities. Um, yeah, I'm feeling a lot better <laughs> right now than I was before. <laughs> um, I'm going to go negative again, though. <laughs> Something that we're all struggling with uh, has been the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, has it impacted your work or have you been able to do any of your work from home? I have been able to do um, the work, 
the work from home. I'm currently just writing up my thesis. So I'd finished all my lab work <coughs> before COVID hit. There was a big, bit, little bit of rush because we knew uh, the labs were shutting down. So I managed to finish. Um, that was pretty good. Uh, but then I also left um, for four months. I left to go and work as a, for a summer job, as a summer intern. Uh, so I actually uh, went back home to Iceland where things are not that bad in COVID and where uh, was working there. So COVID was fine. Yeah. And I was actually really lucky because I got an opportunity to work at a company called Carbfix that is very relevant and related to my research. And they're trying to, or they are already storing CO2 in basaltic rocks. Oh, wow. So this, this technology is already uh, being yep. practiced. They're, they've been up and running um, since 2012. Oh, that's great. This isn't just pie in the sky. We're, we're actually... Um, you've got literally boots on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Well, Catherine, that's um, all of my, my pre-scripted questions. <laughs> Did you have anything else before I let you go? Just thank you for inviting me. And thank you for sharing your hope and optimism um, and your science. Uh, it's amazing science. Um, and yeah, you make me feel a lot better. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening to Quarantine Conversations. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca slash learn slash quarantine conversations.